Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Marshall Poe, your host. Each week we pick a history book that we find particularly interesting, and we interview the author of that book. This week I'm very pleased to say we have Ben Kiernan on the show, and we'll be talking about his book, Blood and Soil, A World History of Genocide and Extermination from Sparta to Darfur. Uh, you might know that chimpanzees kill each other. Uh, so do lots of animals. But only humans, homo sapiens, engage in mass slaughter of their own kind, at least as far as I know. There may be exceptions. This is a curious thing, and it may be one of the things that we call uniquely human. I think we should find this disturbing. And it does raise the question as to whether this is part of our nature or it is some sort of historical artifact. Having read Ben's terrific book, I can tell you that I think it's a little bit of both. Genocide is a regular event in human history, and this would suggest that it is not a historical artifact, but that it is, in fact, something in our nature. On the other hand, there are conditions which trigger it, and they are under our control. And Ben does a good job in the book of describing, at least in modern times, what those conditions have been. I really enjoyed talking to Ben today, and I think that you'll enjoy the rather sobering interview. Here it is. Hi, Ben. Hi, Marshall. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Have you uh, did you guys have the huge blizzard there in New Haven? Yes, we've had uh, a, a big snowfall, but it's sunny now and uh, it's melting. It looks good out there. Yeah, we always uh, here in the Midwest we uh, we think that you people on the East Coast are wimps. That's that's basically the word. <laughs> I should tell our listeners that we're talking to Ben Kiernan today, and we'll be discussing his book, uh, really terrific book. Um, Blood and Soil, A World History of Genocide and Extermination from uh, Sparta to Darfur. Uh, I uh, read it with rapt attention, and um, I can tell you that it is a sobering read. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, an, it's, an import, it's an important book, but um, you know, some, of it, some of the material – actually, it's, it's funny because I, uh, I, I teach a class on military history where I show films, and sometimes I tell the students, you know, if you'd like to leave the room, you can because this is going to be very disturbing. Uh, and there's some things in it that are disturbing, but necessarily so. There's no way to tell the story without including a lot of those details. So we should congratulate Ben on writing the book. So, Ben, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to school, where you grew up, and uh, how you became interested in these things. Yes, I was uh, born and educated in Australia, and both my degrees are in Southeast Asian history. So uh, that was the region of the world that was uh, coming into Australian consciousness when I was an undergraduate. Uh, the Vietnam War was raging and also the uh, issue of Australia's uh, treatment of its Aboriginal population uh, was also uh, coming to public attention. And the uh, universities were uh, full of discussion about uh, Australia's relations with Southeast Asia, with Vietnam, and uh, what was uh, a fair way for Australia to um, make uh, make good the uh, past mistreatment of uh, the Australian Aborigines. And the uh, first uh, interest that I that I took in my PhD dissertation was uh, Cambodian history. And uh, I had visited Southeast Asia and visited uh, East Timor as an undergraduate. And I began working on a PhD in 1978 on uh, the colonial regime of the French in uh, in Cambodia. And uh, at that time, the Khmer Rouge were in power, 
and it was not possible to visit the country or work in the archives there. Uh, so I began to do some research in France in the colonial archives and found that uh, a French scholar had uh, just almost completed a PhD dissertation on the colonial period, and I switched my topic uh, to working on the Khmer Rouge regime and its rise to power. Mm -hmm. So my uh, PhD dissertation was called How Pol Pot Came to Power, mm -hmm. which I completed in uh, Monash University in 1983. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to write uh, a second book called The Pol Pot Regime, which was what the Khmer Rouge did when they were in power from 1975 to 79 and uh, came to the U.S. in 1990 uh, and uh, continued to work on that. I published that second book in 1996 and uh, at the same time began uh, a research project to document the uh, crimes of the Khmer Rouge in, mm -hmm. uh, in that period in the late 70s called mm -hmm. the Cambodian Genocide Program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we should express our thanks to the um, Australian educational system for having the uh, foresight to look into these Southeast Asian affairs. Of course, here in the United States, we were ca caught almost completely unawares, uh, even after we were in Vietnam. We really didn't know what we were doing. But so kudos to your advisors or, um, or whomever pushed you in that direction, or, or to yourself for pushing yourself in that direction. Well, Australia really does have a, a terrific level of scholarship on Asia, particularly on Southeast Asia, but China as well. Uh -huh. I talked to David Day, and actually, uh, he, you may know him and his work. He... Uh, he also mentioned the Vietnam War as kind of a catalyst for this. Many people forget that the Australians were involved in the Vietnam War. I don't know. Americans only think that Americans were involved. But, no, uh, um, 8,000 uh, Australians served there and 400 were killed. Yeah, so it was, a, it was an important thing. I mean, the same is true of South Korea. South Korea was also there, and I, people forget that too. So it was right. an important catalyst. Well, let me ask you this. What was it like as a historian to kind of be in uh, Southeast Asia and particularly um, – I'll call it Cambodia for these purposes, mm -hmm. to be uh, studying Cambodia while a genocide was going on. Maybe you could talk just a little bit about that experience. It must have been very strange to realize that you were in the middle of something which was really world historical. Well, at first I didn't realize uh, what was going on at all. It was uh, not possible to visit there, and uh, and I really uh, misunderstood the nature of the Khmer Rouge regime at first before I began my graduate studies, and uh, it, it took a while for, for me to work out that the uh, Khmer Rouge regime was, uh, was in fact a, a killer regime that was uh, on a genocidal track. And uh, my first newspaper article I published about that was called Why has Kampuchea Gone to Pot? But that was in the mm -hmm. last year of the Khmer Rouge regime. Mm -hmm. And uh, I visited there and 1980, uh, two years later, and spent uh, four months traveling around and interviewing people about what had happened to them after interviewing uh, about 100 Cambodian refugees in France and mm -hmm. uh, got a much clearer idea uh, from 1978 what was happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. So um, it, it must have been quite a shock to you to learn what had actually happened. Uh, yes. Uh, it certainly was not what uh, the end of the war uh, was expected to bring. The, uh, many Cambodians expected the war uh, to end, and uh, whatever happened couldn't be worse. But indeed, the Khmer Rouge regime was worse than uh, the war, which mm -hmm. had itself been devastating. The war of, mm -hmm. that, that was raging in Vietnam spilled over into Cambodia, 
especially after 1970 when um, all sides in the Vietnam War just crashed across the border and mm -hmm. the country became engulfed in a massive uh, era of destruction, mm -hmm. and, uh, particularly uh, both sides of the uh, Vietnamese Civil War and uh, most of all the United States uh, B-52 bombardment, mm -hmm. which... Uh, spread right across the country mm -hmm. from 1970 to 73 mm -hmm. and uh, 